This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and what a weekend it was in Dallas, Texas. I'm back in Toronto now. To recap, UFC 277. Well, I'm actually back in Toronto because this is where I live, but while I'm here, I might as well recap UFC 277, talk about all of the different things that went down in the Lone Star State over the course of the weekend. As I mentioned, very, very eventful. But first off, a little bit of housekeeping, and important housekeeping. The nominees for this year's World MMA Awards, Fighters Only World MMA Awards, came out this past week. And yours truly was nominated as one of the Journalists of the Year, a category that I'm sharing with colleagues like Ariel Hawani, Mike Vaughn, both nice Canadian boys like myself, as well as the likes of John Morgan and Sean Alshadi, all, all four of whom I hold in the highest of esteem and uh, consider to be close colleagues. Uh, I'm, I'm speechless, really. I mean, I, I don't even know how to sum into words how big of an honor it is to be recognized in this regard uh, as one of the top journalists in the sport. And, you know, the thing that really gets me about it is, and I was talking to my wife about this today, it's like, there's a panel of people, whoever's coming up with these awards, that believe I'm so good at my job that I'm one of the top five people in the world doing something right now, like doing anything, right? Like, who can say that they're in the top five of anything in the world? And for me to be considered to be in in that conversation, let alone being nominated, is is just honestly, it, it, it bowls me over. It is a, an incredible, incredible honor. And, uh, you know, in the interest of transparency, this, is, this podcast is where I, I get to speak, I would say, most openly about whatever's going on in the world of MMA, in my life, whatever. One of the first things that I did when I was covering MMA um, was do the red carpet of the World MMA Awards. And the very first year I did it, I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to do this every year until I'm nominated. Once I'm nominated for an award here, that's going to be like that. That was a goal of mine was to be nominated for uh, this particular category, the Journalist of the Year for the World MMA Awards. And I'm not not to say that I'm not going to cover the red carpet again. It's a fun thing to do, but I just remember thinking, you know, one day I want to be nominated for this award, and until I am, I will go to every single one when I'm in town, every single awards show when I'm in town, and do the red carpet and talk to people and, you know. Because it reminded me of one of my early assignments, one of the the things I did at the very start of my career covering the sport, and it always kind of stuck with me. I always I always said, you know, I'd love to be considered for this award, and I wasn't last year. And for whatever reason, uh, um, you know, I thought I thought maybe that would be it. last year would have been the year where I, I would get nominated, and then I kind of forgot about it honestly, and. Then Nolan King, a colleague of mine at MMA Junkie, tagged me in a tweet saying, you know, congratulations to the nominees. And I saw it and I was just like, wow. It, it really just kind of hit me hard. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. I want to thank everybody who follows me on social media. I probably won't get to do a thank you speech on that night because it seems like it's the Ariel Hawani Award. He he wins it every year. And uh, I mean, to <laughs> to say that he's worthy is an understatement. He's, you know, the best interviewer that this sport has ever had in terms of um, you know, the one-on-one that he does, what he's able to, to, you know, the, the relationships he has with the fighters, managers, etc. I mean, he's, he's the gold standard in the sport for the most part. And, uh, you know, not to take anything away from other people that are covering the sport because John Morgan's been at it for a long time. He's, he's incredibly so respected by his peers, um, and, and really by everybody in the sport. He's, he's phenomenal. He's doing play-by-play now for different promotions. Like he's, he's, he's a force. Um, you know, Sean Alshadi, who's nominated as you know, one of the the best columnists, one of the best writers. I wouldn't call him a columnist. I guess he doesn't write columns, but he he writes long form pieces, and he's just incredible at it. He's he's awesome. Um, Mike Bond, my colleague uh, from Toronto, who lives in Toronto, has been doing great work for MMA Junkie for years, and uh, he's nominated for a second time. So it's just you know to be in in the company with those guys is just it it's uh, it's something else. So again, thank you. I I, I don't want to. Wax poetic about it for too long, but I, it just really is a great honor. And also, on top of that, I talked last weekend about uh, attending the Association of Boxing Commissions 
annual convention, annual conference rather, in uh, Niagara Falls, New York. And I'm pleased to say that I passed both the refereeing and judging courses that I took while I was there. So this past week, just in terms of my career growth, in terms of uh, accomplishments, achievements, it really is probably the biggest week of my career. Like just, just to be able to do all of that on top of being in Dallas, covering the event, getting to talk to some of the biggest names in the sport. Uh, it's just, it, this was a week where I actually kind of was able to take a step back and say like, you know, I'm really doing this. You know, this is, <laughs> it took a long six years for me to make that realization, but yeah. So it it was a cool week and uh, I want to thank everybody. But uh, of course, not about me this week. It's about UFC 277, which took place on Saturday at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas, awesome city. I love Dallas. I'm glad that the UFC came back to Dallas and I had the opportunity to go back. Very underrated city. Uh, I don't know if people, I th- feel like Dallas has, you know, people believe Dallas is something that it isn't. Not that it's something that it isn't, but I think Dallas is kind of typecast as a, a different city than it actually is. It, it's a really good city. It has great, uh, you know, a solid, like art scene, has a solid, uh, has great breweries. Obviously, the barbecue is phenomenal, top notch. Has one of the, the best gyms right now, Fortis MMA. Just an awesome place to visit. So, was happy to be in Big D for Nunez versus Pena, the rematch. And, wow, Amanda Nunez looked phenomenal. Just phenomenal. I scored the fight 50-43 to 43 for her. I gave her a 10-8 second and fifth round. Fifth round was kind of on the cusp, but I think that she, she did enough damage to, to warrant a 10-8. The judges scored a 50-45, 50-44, And, I mean, Amanda's back. She's back and really looks like she's better than ever because... The strategy, the strategy that she employed, the patience that she had, the diversity of attack. It was a complete performance by the person that I was still saying last week is the greatest female mixed martial artist of all time. And that just puts her right back there as being what I think should be the consensus greatest female mixed martial artist of all time. I, I just don't see an argument for anybody else. I know she lost to Pena the first time, but I think it's pretty clear that the reasons that she gave for not being able to rise to the occasion on that night were valid, or at least to an extent valid. That she had a knee injury, she wasn't able to train properly. Seems like her and her team had a bit of a disconnect. She didn't feel like she was at home at an American Top Team anymore. There were all of these different fighters in her weight classes that were coming in and getting training that she could inevitably face one day. So she left after that last fight with Pena. She She felt like she wanted to leave a little bit earlier, she said, but... Things were working. Things were clicking. And I've heard that from a lot of different fighters that, that stick with their camps because things were working, even though they knew that if they had taken themselves out of their comfort zone, moved somewhere, gone to a different gym, it probably would have helped make them better fighters. But you don't want to change something if that's working. But obviously, after that first fight with Pena, something was not working. And uh, she's made a lot of basically wholesale changes and looked just tremendous. Fighting out of the southpaw stance was... You know, it's it's a very smart strategy because Pena in that first fight was rushing in. She was rushing in, throwing blitzes, throwing, you know, volume and trying to crowd Amanda Nunes. And if you have your power hand as your front hand, you're able to throw out fast right hooks, fat, fast right jabs, stop the blitzes in their tracks by hitting with your power hand. Really, really smart strategy by uh, her coach, uh, Roger Crawl. I spoke backstage to uh, Nina Nunes and asked about that strategy, and she said it was all Roger. So it seems like she has a coach that's able to really focus their attention on her. You know, she's training now at her gym, which is called Lioness Studios, but it's not like a typical gym. It's it's basically a private gym. It's not zoned for having membership and, you know, being a retail environment where you can have members and take monthly fees. It's basically a private space for her. It ha- has a living quarters in it for her to recover. This camp was just focused entirely on her. And it seems like that is what she needed. She did not need any distractions. And it seemed like we got the old Lioness and p- seemingly improved Lioness against Pena. And Pena, I mean, you got to give her credit. Listen, I, I said on Twitter that... We haven't seen Nunez take the kind of damage in the fight that she took with Pena 
you know, outside of the first fight with Pena, I don't think we've ever seen her take that amount of damage, that cumulative damage. And even though she won a clean sweep on the scorecards, including 150-44, 150-43, I think it's, you know, I think Juliana had a great fight, even though she lost. And the other thing I kept saying was, imagine if this was the first fight. Like, if Pena never beat Nunez and this was their first fight. I think Pena would have gotten a lot of credit for that performance. Didn't go away, was dangerous for the, dura- the entire duration of the fight. And somebody posted a picture of Nunez kind of banged up after the fight and said, is this what someone should look like after a 50-43 performance? And the answer is yes. A, you can. You can. The rounds are scored individually. You don't look at a fighter at the end of a fight and say, ah, give me back those scorecards. I'm, I'm going to change them up because I think that it was actually a closer fight than my scorecards would indicate. It's not how it works. And I just thought Pena was, you know, showed tremendous heart in that fight. Tremendous, tremendous heart. Hung in there, got knocked down three times, did not, did not seem like she was giving up at any point in time, that she was going to give the title to Amanda Nunez and just was resigned to defeat. I think she knew she lost at the end of the fight, but she tried her darndest to grab submissions, to do whatever damage she could, she took a lot of shots and was, you know, kept coming forward. So, just a very gutsy performance from Juliana Pena, despite losing in a pretty lopsided fashion. And I think it's fair to, it's fair to say that. Like, I, you know, a lot of the times you'll see a 50-43 scorecard, and you'll think it's just a completely lopsided affair. Like, and this wasn't that. From the standpoint of, you know, Pena was just, she was in the fight. She was in the fight. But you can still lose 10-8 rounds, even if you're in the fight. If you get knocked down twice in a round, you're gonna, it's likely going to be a 10-8 round. Depending on what you're able to do to, to counterbalance that. But, yeah, hats off to Amanda Nunez. She's back. Two-time champion once again. One of the few champions that was able to regain the title after dropping it. And only the second person in the last 17 years to win back a title after an immediate rematch. Uh, Figueredo did it back in January. So twice this year. Prior to that, the last time was Randy Couture beating Vitor Belfort in their immediate rematch. And the, it kind of came under strange circumstances, the, the loss that Couture suffered in the first place. It was like early, early in the first round. And his like eyebrow, eye, his like eyelashes got, when, I don't know, it was a weird eye injury that he wanted to continue and they basically said, if you, can, if you continue, you might go blind. <laughs> so, I mean, still, got injured. Whatever it is, it's an injury stoppage. But regardless, 17 plus years ago. So, probably best not to spend too much time on that. Amanda Nunes gets the job done. And a lot of people say, well, you know, what's next for her? She says she wants to take some time off. She wants to go back to Brazil and visit her family. I think she has earned that. I think that Juliana Pena and this kind of rivalry has really consumed her over the last year. And she deserves the time to go back to Brazil, spend time with her family, have her family meet Amanda's daughter for the first time, in some cases, I'm sure. So if she wants to take some time off, of course, that, that's fine. But what's next, right? You know, Amanda says she wants to defend her 45 championship, but against who? It's like a barren wasteland at 145. There's nobody there. Like, there's, no, there's nobody you could say has earned the title's fight at 145 pounds right now. Like, the closest is probably Macy Chason. Like, she might be the only person. I mean, she beat Dumont, who was, like, the only person at that time, right? Like, <laughs> Dumont, by default, could have gotten a 145-pound title shot, and Chason won. So now Chason is basically the number one contender at featherweight because there's just nobody else there. Not to disrespect Macy. Macy's a great fighter. She won the ultimate fighter 145 pounds, but her main division's 35. And then you look at a couple of options here. You've got Nunez versus Pena again. I don't think that we would see that right away, personally. I think that we'll see a rematch at some point in time. I think Pena is good enough to get back into that conversation. But after a fight like that, I don't think it's something we need to see right away. Then there's Nunez against Shevchenko, which is always going to be interesting. Always going to be interesting. But Shevchenko just had some trouble with Santos. And when Tyler Santos comes back, I think that's a fight they might want to make too. Not to mention you've also got Caitlin Chukagian, who I know has lost to uh, Shevchenko before, but against Manon Fioro, who has never fought Shevchenko. And is quickly working her way up the ladder. And then you've got other fighters like Alexa Grasso in the mix. To me, if you're giving me the book, 
and you said tomorrow you have to book a bantamweight, women's bantamweight title fight, I'd do Nunez versus Ketlin Vieira. Now, Ketlin Vieira's win over Misha Tate looks, doesn't look quite as good in hindsight with Tate's recent loss. And her win over Holly Holm was hotly contested. You know, a lot of people thought Holm won that fight. I'm not one of them. I thought that Vieira won that fight. But still, I think her resume, the fact that she's never fought Nunez before, she should be the, the first person that they consider for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. But I mean, if, listen, if, if a Shevchenko fight is doable, that's a fight I'm sure more people would want to see. And then you've also got Kayla Harrison, who recently said in an interview, I believe it was with MMA Junkie, that you know she wants to win this tournament, then she wants to go to the UFC or go somewhere else. But I, as far as I know, she's got a two-year contract. I know they're trying to put together this pay-per-view division, but... They want to charge 50 bucks for a PFL pay-per-view. Like, could you come up with a card based on the PFL's current roster that you would pay $50 for? They'd have to sign a lot of different people. One of those people could have been Anthony Smith, but he re-signed with the UFC. I thought that Anthony Smith could have gone in there and made a boatload of money, possibly made a million dollars, but Smith returns to uh, the UFC. We'll talk about him a little bit later on. So I think that if you're looking at Amanda Nunes, Ketlin Vieira's you know, if we're looking at meritocracy, it should be next in line. Brandon Moreno is, once again, your flyweight champion, sort of? Interim champion? But a great win over Kai Kara France is funny. I thought Moreno probably won those first two rounds. The scorecards were all over the place. One judge had two rounds to none for Kara France. One had it even, and one had two from Moreno. I, I tend to be more in the Moreno won the first two rounds camp. But I was a little bit distracted. I'm backstage. It's hard for me to really give it my full attention. I've got interviews going on and lots of stuff. It's hard for me to score fights when I'm back there. If I'm not, like, Nunes versus Pena, I didn't do any interviews during that. So I, I was able to, you know, give that fight my, my full focus. But I think I interviewed Pantoja during Moreno and Kai Kara France. So I didn't get to watch entire rounds. I think maybe I got to see the, the first round. But the third round, it looked like... Carl France was starting to pull away. It looked like he was starting to put a lot of pressure on Moreno. Moreno got cut up. And it seemed like that he was turning the tides. That Carl France was going to get right back into the fight. And had he won that third round, which had 26 seconds left when he lost, he would have been up on the scorecards. It would have been 29-28 Moreno on one. It would have been 29-28 France on one. It would have been 30-27 France on one. So he would have been on his way to possibly winning that fight. But didn't get that far because Brandon Moreno landed a really nice body kick right to the liver and crumpled Kai Kara France. Then pounced on him with punches to get the finish. And once again with the gold around his waist. But we still have another champion, Davison Figueredo. And they had a really nice exchange in the, in the octagon afterwards. You know, Davison was there. They brought him into the cage. It's always risky business when you do that in the, in the UFC. You know, emotions are flaring. Tempers are, are high. But Moreno, and he told me this after, after the event, after I interviewed him, or when I interviewed him, rather, that in his mind, he was angry, and he wanted to, to tear a strip off of Figueredo and, and, you know, give him an earful. But then in the back of his mind, he thought about his daughter. And apparently his oldest daughter is just like him. He's like she's like a mini Brandon Moreno. She's doing jujitsu. She's like a, an energy ball. She's always like bubbly and pulling pranks on people. This is what uh, my colleague over at ESPN Deportes, uh, Carlos Contreras Legaspi, told me. And he thought about her, his eight-year-old daughter, in that moment, and said, "I need to set a good example for her. If she's watching this and she watches some of his fights, she's watching this." I want her to know that her dad is going to do the right thing and take the high road. And I, and I respect the hell out of him for doing that. Because there is bad blood between these two. Figueredo's accused Moreno's camp of saying racist things. It's gotten really, really heated. But Brandon Moreno took the high road. And so did Davis and Figueredo in that moment. Davis and Figueredo, he could have, you know, we've seen his antics. We saw that last press conference with him and Moreno, which was just seemed like forced and inauthentic. We saw Figueredo be a little bit, be more humble, give the guy a hug, raise his hand. And I think that these two are, are meant for each other in terms of being rivals in this game. They make magic every single time out. It's like a can't miss matchup. And this is the first quadrilogy 
we're going to see between high-level fighters, championship quadrilogy, and MMA history. These guys are making history together. And I think now they're, they're at a point where the respect is mutual. They're, they realize that the fight sells itself. They don't need to fabricate anything. So I was really happy to see how that went down after the fight. And also Moreno and Kaikar are fans. Great relationship. It seems like they get along really well and have a, an incredible amount of respect for one another. They were housemates on The Ultimate Fighter. And I think Kaikar France is going to be back. Like, he's really, really good. And um, I think I think right now the flyweight division kind of has four guys. If I'm forgetting somebody, I apologize. But basically just the two champions, Moreno and Figueredo, Kaikar France, and Pantoja, who fought on this card as well. We'll get to him in just a moment. But let's go in order here. Sergei Pavlovich defeats Derek Lewis 55 seconds into the first round. I don't envy... Dan Rigliotta, and I feel bad for him because you're an official. You have to make split-second decisions. You have to look for little things that tell you that you need to step in and do what's best for the safety of the fighter. And Pavlovich was landing big shots on Derek Lewis, and these are heavyweights, and they're throwing big shots. And we've seen Derek Lewis lose by knockout in what? Is it now, what, three of the last four fights, if you look at it? Let's take a look. Let's just double-check. Yeah, in three of his last four fights, he has lost by KO or TKO. But two of his last three, I guess, last night. And you don't want him to suffer any long-term effects if you're a referee. Like, you know these guys going in. But at the same time, you also know that Derek Lewis is not an easy guy to put away. So he has to make the determination as to whether he was going to stop the fight and make sure that Derek Lewis doesn't take any extra damage that he, he doesn't need to take. If, if he believes that the fight's not going to go the other way again, he needs to step in there and make that decision. Or he has to give Lewis the benefit of the doubt. Seen him get out of these sticky situations before. But Lewis went down. Mirgliata steps in. Waves it off. And then Lewis stands up right away. He's good. And this stuff happens in mixed martial arts. But I can't get mad at Dan Mirgliata for doing that. Like, we're talking about it's a game of inches. It's a game of milliseconds. Like, if you're a referee and you do make the wrong move, like, I'd almost rather a referee stops a fight like that than waits for a heavyweight fight to go a little bit too long and see Derek Lewis take even one extra shot that he doesn't need to take. Now, there's a balance, of course. This, you know, There's the middle ground where you, you can let it go and you stop it at the exact time that it needs to be stopped. There's the early stoppage, and then there's the late stoppage. <laughs> Obviously, the prioritized outcome would be stopping it at the exact right time. But if you're giving me the choice between a late stoppage or an early stoppage, I'm going to take the early stoppage. Not just if I'm a ref, but as, as somebody who cares about these fighters. Even though Derek Lewis threw me under the bus this week. But we'll let sleeping dogs lie. And I thought that he had a decision to make. He made the decision probably a little bit too early. But I, I respect it. And I ha- you, know, you have to respect it from the standpoint of fighter safety. It is what it is. And I don't know if they're going to run this one back. It looked like Pavlovich had the fight in hand at the time. He's landing big shots. Lewis charged in. Pavlovich hit him with a bunch of shots. He's got crisp boxing, good accuracy, great power. He's a problem in this heavyweight division. Anybody who can beat Derek Lewis, like that's that's the gatekeeper. If you can get past, past Derek Lewis, now you're now you're in the mix. And Sergey Pavlovich is now in the mix. It came out to one of the scariest songs. It was like a mix of like bagpipes and metal and like almost like an operatic Russian singer. It gave me chills. Very ominous music. Probably the right thing you want for when you're coming out to, to a cage fight. Now we'll go back to the aforementioned Alashange Pantoja. Gets a win over Alex Perez. And that neck crank did not look like a lot of fun. I was, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't wanting to be Alex Perez in that moment. That was a deep neck crank. And uh, Pantoja gets an early win. And, you know, he could sit around and wait for a title shot. But I spoke with him after the win. And he's, he's a super nice guy. And he says, you know what, I, I'm going to stay busy. The flyweight division needs to stay busy. And I don't think he likes having these long, longer layoffs, waiting, waiting, waiting. And Kai Karafrance kind of called him out on it at the press conference. You know, I took, He's like, I took the fight with Askarov. I got the win. You're waiting around. I got the shot. You're going to be on my prelims. I think he meant undercard, but be that as it may. He's not wrong. Because I think Pantoja, Pantoja's beaten Moreno. He's beaten Kai Karafrance. He deserves a, a sh- another shot at uh, Figueredo. But 
sometimes the promotion is going to go with the ones that say yes. And that's what Kai Kerr fans did. So Pantoja is still, he's kind of in no man's land right now. I don't know who he's going to face next. I think he might need to wait for another challenger to emerge in this division. Maybe he fights Askarov. I don't know. That could be a matchup that would be fun. I had a nice talk with Pantoja, though, backstage. And Pantoja, he was on camera with me. He goes, oh, he goes, I look big today. I look good. And uh, he he showed me his muscles. He goes, he goes you should do jujitsu. You'll have muscles like these. And I said, well, you know, I've got three kids. And I don't have a lot of time uh, to, to, to devote to jujitsu. And he looks at me. He goes, hey, i got two kids. And, he goes, and then he goes, oh, yeah, but I fight for a living. Because <laughs> he, like, caught himself being like, yeah. He's like, this is my job. So that's why I have time to do this. That's why I have time to do jiu-jitsu and become a master at it. Like, Pantoja's jiu-jitsu is phenomenal. It was phenomenal when he was on The Ultimate Fighter. It's been phenomenal for a long time. And his striking has caught up. His striking is awesome, too. He's a great fighter. He'll be, I think he could be a champion one day, no problem. He's getting older, but it doesn't seem to be falling off at all. But, yeah, I, got a, I think he got a good chuckle out of that, too. He was like, oh, yeah, I, I do this for a job. It's like, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm doing this for a job. I've taken classes before, of course. I've, I did martial arts for, for three years right when I took this job just to like become a little bit more familiar with things. But yeah, with three kids, full-time job, it's hard to, hard to devote the, uh, the time that I would like to devote to uh, learning a, a new skill. But shout out to Bantoja. Good dude. Had a great time speaking with him. Magomed Ankalaev defeats Anthony Smith. Smith says that he broke his leg on the last strike, last kick that he threw at the end of the first round. And, they, I mean, he, he still blasted three minutes into the second round on a broken leg. But uh, I feel like that fight would have been a lot more interesting if Smith didn't get injured. But I saw Ankalaev backstage. Like, that's a mountain of a man. That's a huge human being. And his legs are like tree trunks. So, you know, Anthony Smith is... Uh, yeah, I mean, you kick those legs, <laughs> you hope it lands on the right spot. But if it doesn't, then he checks it. He could be in some trouble. But Anthony Smith is one of the bright minds of the sport. I have, I have no doubt that he'll bounce back uh, at some point. Ankalaev, of course, now in the mix. And, you know, I put it out there. I said, I think Ankalaev versus Jan Blachowicz is the fight to make. And people got mad at me. They're like, oh, what, why does Ankalaev need to fight someone else? It's like, well, listen, we got, it looks like Yuri versus Glover 2 is going to happen. Jan Blachowicz beat Rakic. It was kind of an injury situation, but so was this. I mean, the injury was caused by Blachowicz in that fight. The injury was caused by Ankalaev in this fight. So Blachowicz is the former champion. He really wants to fight Yuri. If I'm the UFC, I say, hey, we think Ankalaev's Ankali- on a massive win streak right now. I think it's nine in a row. Either you face him or he's going to get the next shot. No disrespect to Jan Blachowicz, but I think, that's, I think that the win over Smith is more impressive than... What Blahovic did to Rakic. I mean, Rakic won the second round of that fight. So, that's how I'd play it. I think that's the fight to make. And then you have a, a set-in-stone number one contender in the light heavyweight division. Plus, we got Jamal Hill fighting this weekend. And he's, he's an interesting guy in that division as well against Thiago Santos. We'll see if he's able to get that done. We'll talk about that card a little bit later on as well and uh, take a look at some of the lines. Alex Morono defeats Matthew Semmelsberger. By unanimous decision. Some weird scorecards in this one, but the right guy won, obviously. Morono, you know, and I said this to his coach, Safe Sayud, who I interviewed. I said, Semmelsberger was like a strong safety in college. Like, this guy's an athlete. And I said, Morono is small for the division. Doesn't have the athletic gifts of Semmelsberger. But that guy can just fight. Like, that guy has great instincts. He's got great timing. He's got great skills on the ground. He's got great skills on the feet. Great precision. Alex Morono is a tough out for anybody in the welterweight division, and that was a great fight. He fought a phenomenal fight. He was really the only hometown guy on the on the, uh, and he's from Houston, but the only like Texas guy really on the card. Unless I'm forgetting somebody, but I think he was the only one, the only one who trains in Dallas. And that was a statement performance for him. He he looked phenomenal, just looked great. He pieced Semmelsberger up in that first round. And Semmelsberger, I thought they were going to stop that at the end of the second. That was a sweat. If anybody, I know. Uh, my colleague Ian Parker had that fight going to a decision, and that must have been a sweat job because Semmelsberger, <laughs> I don't know how he cheated that eye test, or maybe he could see it just a sliver of his eye, but that thing was shut. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he had a broken orbital bone. But Morono gets the job done. Looked great. Drew Dober against Rafael Alves. This was a really fun fight as well. Alves doing some dancing on his way to the cage. He's dancing. He's grinding up against the official. He's doing flips. Save your energy, boss. But Drew Dober does what Drew Dober does. He weathers the storm early. Fighters think they're going to be able to put him away. because He's a slow starter. And then he just beats them down the stretch. He's always good at beating people down the stretch. You know, I think it's rare for him to lose, lose the late rounds. It just doesn't really happen much. It happened against Brad Riddell. It was kind of the, the, the anomaly there. But, uh, yeah, he is, um, he's, a, he's an awesome fighter as well. I, I always love watching Drew Dober. And he takes fights that are exciting fights. And Rafael Alves was a very exciting fight. And we saw that in the co-main event. We saw that uh, body kick to the liver. Punch the liver from Drew Dober. Dober, rather. Drops Rafael Alves and shuts his system down. Rafael Alves is fun to watch, though. they got to keep that guy around. <laughs> He's got a lot more fun fights than him. Now he had that terrible weight lo- that uh, weight situation when he was trying to make featherweight and weighed in 10 pounds heavy, like another dude on Contender Series did last week. But uh, I don't even know if we're going to touch on Contender Series. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about it, but the, the first episode. But uh, Rafael Alves, fun to watch. Threw it over. Kudos to him. Solid win. The debuting Hamdi Abdel Wahab, short notice replacement. First Egypt-born fighter to con- compete in the UFC, and now also the first Egyptian-born fighter to win in the UFC. Defeats Dante Mays. Split decision 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. I thought it was a pretty clear 29-28. It was weird. The Texas Commission had only regional judges from Morono and Samuelsberger to, from the start of the card till Morono and Samuelsberger. And I get having, you know, I get wanting to give regional guys reps. I really do. It's really important that you get regional guys reps at the big shows, for sure. But pair them with experienced judges. It makes no sense to have three inexperienced judges with, in terms of high-level promotions, top promotions like the UFC, Bellator, PFL. It makes no sense to have them all paired together. Zero sense. I don't know what the Texas Commission's thinking by doing this. It does a disservice to all of these guys. Have them in there so they can make mistakes. Because if you have two seasoned judges, if you have a Saldamato and Chris Lee, and then a, then a local judge, or you have, I know people give these guys a hard time, like Saldamato, Chris Lee. They don't think they're good judges. Find me a lot. Find me bad scorecards from them. In comparison to the amount of fights that they judge, they have bad. I'm sure they have scorecards that people don't agree with from time to time. But these seasoned judges, that's what they're there for as a failsafe, so that when you have up-and-coming judges who, I again, I don't know if they're good or bad judges. You know, they've judged for a long time. But it, it's, there's a big difference judging on the regional circuit and an amateur versus judging in the UFC. There just there is. So let them have seasoned judges that they're judging with. Have one or maybe at the most two of the, the regional judges judging fights at a time. Not three at a time for, for eight of the 13 fights on the card. Just it's lunacy to me, and I was just at the convention with officials from Texas, and I respect them. Like I do, I, I respect their jobs, but like I just I cannot rationalize why they would do that. It, it makes no sense. Thankfully, there were there weren't really any terrible scorecards. Like you think, I mean, we, there were some bad rounds here or there. Like for example, this Abdel Wahab versus Mays. One of the judges gave Mays the third round. He was on his back for most of the round. He landed a good flurry at the end, but. I don't know. I don't think it was enough to sway that round. You know, you had uh, one, one one judge scored a fight for G on Kim against Jocelyn Edwards. I think you can make a case there, sure. But I just think that you, you're you're playing with fire by having three regional judges all judging at the same time. That's all. So shout out to Hamdi Abdel Wahab. Use his grappling. Drop Maze in the first round. It looks like he's going to be a a solid addition to the heavyweight division. Another guy you can throw in the co-main event of, uh, of cards because for whatever reason they throw heavyweights in, in the co-main event or like third from the top. For just Maybe heavyweights do better on main cards. I don't know why they put a lot of these <laughs> fights like the Chase Sherman fight from a couple of weeks ago against... Uh, what's his name? I don't know. I'm forgetting his name. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Guy's... Uh, was on Contender Series. 
has a kind of a dry sense of humor. I don't know why I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. But uh, Vandera, Jared Vandera. See, you can hear me, the wheel spinning in real time. But yeah, like that, Chase Sherman versus Vandera, like third from the top, the third from the main event. That doesn't make sense to me. Dracar Close defeats Rafa Garcia. 29-28 on all three scorecards. Uh, I think the judges got it right. They all they were all on the same page for every round. Ricardo Close is a great fighter. I mean, this is a guy who's been on the cusp of being ranked at lightweight for some time. I think he deserves a step up. In fact, I'd like to see him fight Drew Dober. I think that would be a great matchup. Michael Morales defeats Adam Fugit. Fugit making his debut showed a lot of heart, but Morales puts him away in the third. He was a big favorite in that fight and uh, came through for those that uh, that backed him. Jocelyn Edwards defeats Ji Yeon Kim. I feel terrible for Jiyeon Kim in this spot because I think what she's lost what three in a row now or four or five or something like let, let me take a look and she's lost she's lost four in a row she's lost lost five of her last six but listen to these circumstances so she loses to Antonina Shevchenko she missed weight in that spot not great she fights Nadia Kasim she misses weight again but gets a win in that one that's back in 2019 so we're almost three years ago at this point in time and her last four fights, Alexa Grasso, we see how good she's been at flyweight. That's not an easy out. Molly McCann. At the time, Molly wasn't what she is now, but Molly is really... I mean, this, this was kind of the fight that got, got her momentum started. Then she lost to Priscilla Cachuera. I actually scored that fight for Cachuera, but I know a lot of people thought Kim won that fight. And then she loses a split here to Jocelyn Edwards. But here's the thing. Kim was scheduled to fight at 125 pounds on this card. So she's probably dieting. She's had trouble making weight in the past. She's supposed to be facing Maria Agapova. Agapova has to pull out. And then they put Jocelyn Edwards in, who just fought at 145. So I'm thinking that she's probably walking around in the 150s. For women to cut that much weight is very difficult on short notice. So she misses weight. She comes in 137.5 pounds. And you can see them in the cage. There was a clear size discrepancy. Clear. You have to give Ji Yeon Kim another fight. She accepted this fight on short notice. Her opponent doesn't make weight. I know she's lost four in a row, but she's losing to tough opponents. And this circumstance in particular doesn't sit well with me because she agrees to move up a weight class and then the person doesn't make weight. because She just fought a 45. It's just that kind of a size advantage really matters in women's mixed martial arts. Nikolai Negumarianu defeats Ihor, I, Ihor Poteria. I keep messing this guy's name up. Ihor Poteria. He, this was a great performance for Negu Marianu. Just a tremendous performance. He keeps getting better and better with every fight. So kudos to him. He was putting it on Poteria in the second round. It was just big shot after big shot, blitz after blitz. He looks really good. And then in the opener, Orion Kosi, Kosi defeats Blood Diamond. 29-28 on all three scorecards. Kosi using his wrestling. He also missed weight. But I uh, guess the job done there. He was very apologetic about missing weight. He just says he can't, for whatever reason, his body wasn't cutting the way it always does. And he says he's uh, he's looking to fight at both 85 and 170 going forward. He's willing to take short notice fights at 85. And then if he can get a long enough camp, he can do 170. Fight of the night, Brandon Moreno, Kaikar France. I think that's probably the right call. And performance of the night bonuses for Pantoja and Drew Dober. I like that as well. Especially with Moreno getting fight of the night. Like Moreno probably deserved the performance of the night bonus, but uh, Pantoja definitely did, and Drew Dober did as well. So, And that Drew Dober-Alves fight was probably in the mix for fight of the night until Moreno versus Sky Care fans. That was a great fight. So that's it. That's the card. And um, I think Amanda Nunes has really reestablished herself as the greatest female fighter of all time if you didn't believe she was going into this fight. I think you kind of have to now. I don't really see who you could argue has a better resume than Amanda Nunes at this point in time. And... Uh, it's really hard to dispute whether or not she was uh, compromised in that first fight. Because based on how she looked in this fight, she looked sharp as attack. All right, Contender Series started last week. And didn't get off to the best start. We had four fights because one was scrapped due to a weight miss. The first three fights all went to a decision. And when that happened, I was saying... You know, I think Dennis Bazookia, he probably could put on some exciting fights, but, you know, they're all going to a decision. I go, Dana's going to snap if this last fight doesn't go to a decision. I go, he's probably going to make a statement and not sign any of them. It's the first episode of the season. He wants highlights. He wants things. He wants to have exciting fights. And I kind of agreed with him when he said, 
it didn't seem like anybody was that into it in those first three fights. Like, nobody was really leaving it all out there. Really looking that hard for the finish. And then the Joe Pfeiffer fight happens. Joe Pfeiffer looked great, put it on his opponent, ends up getting the loan contract of the first episode. But Dana White really set the, set the tone by saying, you know what you're supposed to be coming here to do. You need to wow us. And uh, only one fighter did that this past Tuesday. So this week, Dana White Contender Series is back on Tuesday. Some exciting fighters. Chris Duncan, who was on last season. Danilo Suzart, who uh, fought in Aries FC. Good fighter. Shimon Smoritsky from Israel back on uh, as well. He was on last season too. So a couple familiar faces uh, on the Dana White Contender Series this, uh, this week. PFL also back this week. You've got the rematch between Stevie Ray and Anthony Pettis. We just saw this fight. Ray a minus 140 favorite. Uh, if you can find the line on it right now. That's that's about where he's at. I, I think Pettis wins this fight. Uh, getting Pettis at an underdog price, even though he just lost to Ray, I think getting some decent value there. Because Pettis knew he was in. Like you have to remember from you have to look at these fights from a PFL standpoint. And I had a good talk. I actually um, spent some time with Ian Parker this past week, who does uh, all these picks for the PFL. And he talked about how he, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, I think it's probably pretty obvious that he does this. He looks at these matchups in the context of what's going on in the tournament. Of like, you know, should Anthony Pettis be risking it to get a win over Stevie Ray when he knows he's in? He's got the most points. And Ray's a good point. Like, Stevie Ray, Pettis had nothing to lose in that last fight. He didn't need to bring a complete effort. He didn't need to, to empty the gas tank in that one. And you're talking about a million dollars, right? Like, losing strategically in MMA when you already have losses on your record? It's not, not necessarily the, the most... Uh, I'm not saying he threw the fight. Believe me, that's not what I'm saying. But not going in there with the, the same killer instincts you need to in order to get points in the tournament when you know you already have enough points to advance makes a big difference. So, Pettis and Ray rematch. You got uh, Conan Silvera's son, Josh Silvera, uh, and a favorite over Omari Ahmedov. That's an interesting one. Ahmedov, the far more experienced fighter, has a lot of big wins. Josh Silvera is the, 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 the hot thing right now. And maybe might be a little overvalued in this spot, to be honest. Olivia Aubon Mercier is the, the Battle of the Canadians. Uh, Alex Martinez training in Canada. And of course, Olivier from the La Belle Provence of Quebec. Minus 230 for Aubon Mercier. Martinez plus 190. Unless Martinez can catch him in a submission. I think Oban Mercier probably probably wins this one. I have Rob Wilkinson against uh, Delon Monte. Monte looking looked uh, great in his last fight. And Corey Hendricks versus Martin Martin Hamlet. And the winner of this fight will get a spot in the tournament next year. Why not just give Corey Hendricks a spot in the tournament? Like, does he really need to fight for it again? He was already a, a backup fighter and got a win. I don't know. The PFL does some things that confuse me sometimes. But either way, it should be a fun card. That falls on this Friday night. And then, of course, on Saturday, UFC returns to the apex. A main event, Jamal Hill against Thiago Santos. The Ultimate Fighter finale uh, fighters, the lines aren't totally out yet, but I can tell you who's currently favored and uh, who I like. But let's, let's go through this card. Jamal Hill minus 295, Thiago Santos plus 220. Um, I like the Jamal Hill side here. Uh, and I'm waiting for the props to come out so I can see how I would take this. Because Santos Santos is not an easy guy to put away. Like Tiago Santos. When was the last time Tiago Santos got stopped in a fight? Because I'm thinking that the... Like, if you can get the under... Like, under two... The, sorry, the over two and a half. I don't want to go that route. Because, because Tiago Santos is always dangerous. And the last time, he, he's never been finished at light heavyweight. Let's just put it that way. He's never been finished at light heavyweight. Um, sorry, he's never been knocked out, rather. Knocked out at light heavyweight. He got, he got submitted by Glover. But he's never been knocked out at light heavyweight. And that's, I mean, Jamal Hill's not really out here submitting a lot of guys. So if that's his path to victory, you got Santos very durable. I might take the over in that spot. I don't know what the line's going to be just yet, but that's, that's the way I would look at that one. 
instead of taking a side. Although I think Jamal Hill is worth parlaying. If you see something else on the card you like, like Vicente Luque, minus 186. Jeff Neal, plus 144. I would lean Luque in this situation. I think Luque is just a more experienced fighter, has a lot more weapons and a lot more ways to win this fight. But again, I'm going to take a look at some props. But uh, early look, minus 186, I think that's probably about right for where this should be lined. And I think Luque has the edge in this one. Shamil Gamzatov, oh, sorry, that fight is off. Shamil Gamzatov was actually released, from what I understand from the promotion, had issues getting visa, and Misha Surkinov will not be fighting on the card. Sergey Spivak, minus 235. Augusto Zakai, plus 180. I think this line's way too wide. I think that uh, Spivak's looked really good lately, but Augusto Zakai's got really good grappling. He's got really good striking. He's a huge guy. I think he could give Spivak some problems. And at heavyweight, a volatile division like this to get Sakai at plus 180. I like that. I think Sakai is worth a look at that price. I know he's had a bit of a rough go lately. Let's take a look at what Augusto Sakai's been up to. But I don't think he's lost to anybody that he shouldn't, you know, that guys in this division don't lose. Yeah, so here are his last two losses. Tai Tuivasa, he's lost to Ingro. Tai Tuivasa, Jairzinho Rosenstreich, and Alistair Overeem are his last three losses. And then before that, wins over Blagoy Ivanov, Marjin Tybura, Arlovsky. I mean, those are those are good wins. So, uh, and then you look at Spivak, and he's won four of his last five, but the wins are over Carlos Felipe, not in the UFC anymore. Jared Vandera, who's not doing well. Alexei Olenek, that's a good win. I'll give him that one, but it's like grappler versus grappler, and he was just able to really stave off the attacks of Olenek. Lost to Tom Aspinall. I mean, everybody except for Curtis Blades is losing to Tom Aspinall. And uh, TKO win over Greg Hardy, who's not in the UFC anymore, doing bare knuckle now. So, you get a guy who's got one, four, or five, but against who? Versus a guy who's lost three in a row to really, really tough, tough heavyweights. Top heavyweights. So, I, I like Sakai here. Uh, Ariane Lipsky, minus 184. Priscilla Cachuera, plus 142. I might look at the Lipsky by sub prop here, but I, it's not out yet, so I don't really know what it's at. Um, I would lean Lipsky, but that, that's an interesting fight because I think Cachuera is going to bring it to her and has a shot at winning that fight. It's a good matchup. Uh, Mikhail Oleksiejczyk, minus 620 against Sam Alvey, plus 400. I mean, Sam Alvey's become a punchline at this point in time because he, they keep... they. I mean, what? how many in a row has he lost? I, mean, I know they like the guy. And I love smiling, Sam. He's a good dude. Fun fighter to watch. I don't know how he ever made 170 pounds, but yeah. So he has lost seven of his last eight. And that other fight of the eight was a split draw. He has not won a fight in four plus years. And it was against Gian Volante by split decision, his last win. I, I mean, I, why are they keeping him around? I don't know. I, I, I hate to say it because I, I like the guy. I know he took he took the Brandon Allen fight on short notice, so that could be why. And he also lost to Wellington Tremont despite getting his eyes poked out like crazy in that fight. So, I mean, you look at circumstances, you know, maybe that's why. But uh, back at light heavyweight for a fight against Mikhail Olegzajic. And, uh, yeah, I, I would I would take Olegzajic here as a pretty comfortable parlay piece. Let's talk about the two ultimate fighter finales. Um, no price yet on FanDuel, but Juliana Miller is favored over Brogan Walker. And, uh, I would take Brogan Walker in this spot. I think Brogan Walker is the much crisper striker. I don't think she's going to make as many mistakes as Miller's opponents on the Ultimate Fighter show did. I think she's a much more seasoned fighter, a a much higher fight IQ fighter. I think Juliana Miller is a lot of fun and she's going to have a lot of fun fights in the UFC. But, and I think this is a pretty close fight. But I think the, I think you've got the wrong favorite here. I think Brogan Walker should be the favorite. And I I admit it. I watched the Ultimate Fighter. I like the Ultimate Fighter. You know, it's a lot of for a lot of people in MMA, they they find it to be they don't like it anymore. It's too much, and they think it's the same formula and blah blah. blah. I enjoy watching. It. I like watching their journeys. I think it's fun to watch. You know, people might get on me for admitting that, but it is what it is. Now I heard some people say that maybe Muhammad Usman would be getting that the Usman rub in terms of the, the betting lines. But uh, from what I'm seeing right now, it looks like he's a pretty sizable underdog against Zach Pauga. And I think that kind of makes sense. I think Zach Pauga is a really solid fighter. I'm surprised. I'm wondering if these guys ever trained together because uh, Usman trains with uh, Trevor Whitman. Like lately, he's been training with Trevor Whitman in that camp. And Zach Pauga is just down the street at Team Elevation. I know they cross train quite a bit. So I'm wondering about that. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's heavyweights. Listen, it's volatile heavyweights. And if you can get either of them at plus 200, I mean, hey, it might be worth it. But Zach Pauga looks like a really good fighter. He's one of the top training partners for Curtis Blades. Has, a lot, has I think, more experience. So we'll see how that, this one plays out. I, I expect that both of these guys are going to end up in the UFC. And same with Rogan and uh, Julian Miller. I think all four of them are going to be sticking around regardless of who ends up becoming the ultimate fighter. Now, we've got Zubaira to Hugov against Nate Landwehr, but I think that fight actually got moved. So let's not, I'm not going to talk about that one because I don't think it's actually on the card. I, mean, I should just pull up the UFC.com event page and just make sure that, uh, you know, all these fights are still on because we're, we're in a fluid situation, folks, with a lot of these fights. What, what do we got with the prelims here? Okay, yeah, so I was right. That fight is no longer on the card. You've got Brian Battle moving down to welterweight. He's a minus... Um, 230 favorite against Takashi Sato, plus 176. I'm interested to see how Battle does in this weight class uh, before I back him at, at a price this high. Um, this is a wait and see for me. I think Battle probably wins, but uh, that's a stay away. Whew. Terrence McKinney, minus 1,000 against Eric Gonzalez. who's plus 560. That's a spicy meatball. That's a, that's a big line. I would be looking at props on that one. and Might look at a McKinney round one prop, depending on what it is. McKinney KO prop. That's probably how I think this one ends. But Eric Gonzalez is, yeah, I don't know. Is Eric Gonzalez the, the kind of guy get, that gets finished early in fights? Like, I don't know too much about him. I'm trying to remember who he fought in his debut. I know he's, uh, the, the Ghost Pepper has fought in the UFC before. So in his last fight, he, oh yeah, he got knocked out by Jim Miller in the second round. Interesting. Um, hasn't fought the best of competition outside of the UFC either. Not terrible, but not great. So I can understand why McKinney's a big favorite. Uh, Josh Quinlan is a minus 230 favorite against Jason Witt. I thought that Quinlan had like a USADA violation and wasn't in the UFC anymore. I might be thinking of the wrong person though, so let me see if I'm let me see if I'm thinking of the right guy. Yeah. So so it wasn't a USADA um, violation. It was a a Nevada State Athletic Commission fight. So his fight was actually overturned. Um... For Drosh standalone, wow, that's pretty. That's a pretty big deal. I'm not sure if it ended up being a uh, tainted supplement, but it looks like they kept Josh Quinlan around, and he had a really impressive performance on the uh, on the Contender series. I was impressed with him. I liked what I saw. The guy's got big power. So uh, you know, if you can find a knockout prop on this when it comes out, that might be the, the way you want to look at this one. It's probably the direction I'd go in, especially if you can get it like the at even money or below, or better rather. Uh, Myra Bueno Silva, minus 128 against Stephanie Egger, plus 100. Egger looked really good in her last fight, and Myra Bueno Silva didn't look great. But I think Myra Bueno Silva's the better fighter in this one, and, uh, I would side with her here. I think minus 128 is actually a solid price for Myra Bueno Silva in this spot. You know, it's one of those situations where somebody performs really well. Um, and then, uh, and then someone who doesn't perform that well. You know, it's recency bias. I guess is probably my the the way that I would li- I would like to put this one. And then finally, you've got Corey McKenna, who's back in action uh, after she suffered her first UFC loss to Elise Reed in a split decision. Take on Miranda Granger. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize that Miranda Granger was still in the UFC. She hasn't fought in two years. She's one and two in the promotion. Um, losses to Amanda Lemos, so you know, no, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a reasonable loss. And then a loss to Ashley Yoder in 2020. So Miranda Granger is still in the UFC and is taking on uh, Corey McKenna, who is the rightful favorite here at minus 215, in my opinion. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable parlaying her. She just she's still very green, Corey McKenna, and that worries me when you when you see a price tag like this. So that's a pass from me. If I if you want me to give you some early leans for what I think my TSN edge picks will be, Brogan Walker will be one for sure especially if she's staying the underdog. I usually have a really good read on, on Ultimate Fighter finale fights because I watch the season. I see how I see how they fight. Um, not that the, the people that make the lines are unfamiliar with all this, but I, I, I tend to have a, a, good, a good feel for these matchups. Brogan Walker, I will be going with. Um, I'll probably be parlaying Oleg Zaychuk, but I want to see what the, the, I want to see what the props are really. Before I start you know, doing heavy chalk on guys like McKinney and Oleg Zaychuk, I want to see what the props are like. Augusto Zakai, I'll be picking at plus 180. That one I can tell you already for sure. When the Quinlan KO prop comes out, I might end up on that, depending on what it is. 
So the problem is there's just not there's not a whole lot of lines out just yet. So if we're looking at strictly money line plays, Augusto Sakai is an underdog. Brogan Walker is an underdog are the two that I would comfortably go with right now. And then otherwise I will probably be combing the uh I'll be looking at the menu for some value later on in the week. I also like the over in Hill and Santos if it's like if it ends up being like two and a half and you can get you can get plus money at two and a half or something along those lines. Or if you can get it like over one and a half at like close to even or even laying a bit of chalk, I'd, I'd certainly consider that as well. I'll be going in that direction most likely. I know that Hill is somebody who gets early finishes, but I mean, Tiago Santos, like, this guy just does not get finished early in fights, like period, especially at light heavyweight. So that's the way I'm looking at this upcoming card, UFC on ESPN, Santos versus Hill. Uh, the Jake Paul fight got canceled. That's interesting. Why couldn't they have saved that card? So, I mean, here's the thing. Jake Paul talks about being pro-fighter and all this stuff and, you know, doing, doing right by the fighters. Yet one week before a card, because he put his opponent in a pretty untenable situation with his weight cutting, and I understand there's some, you know, some of this falls on Haseem Rahman Jr. Believe me, I understand that. You can't find another person that wants to fight Jake Paul on a week's notice. Like, Jake Paul's got a full camp. You don't think there's going to be people, that there are people that are lining up to try to get an opportunity to fight Jake Paul. You can't find an ex-mixed martial arts guy to put in there against Jake Paul on short notice. Like, there's nobody out there you can find. Are you like? Are you kidding me? This, I believe, has to do with a lack of a gate and a lack of pay-per-view interest. And it's not that, that promoters shouldn't do this. We've seen the UFC even do this in the past. So I'm not saying this is atypical, but you have all these fighters ready to go. It's one week before the card. You rent that MSG. And, like, you're telling me you can't find an interesting matchup for... You can't get Frank Gore to box against, like, Jake Paul or something like that. You can't make another one of these games. I understand he wants to take his boxing career seriously. He wants to show that he can beat a boxer. But, I mean, you're going to take an opportunity away from all these other fighters because you put Hasim Rahman Jr. in this situation where it's going to be really difficult for him to, to meet the qualifications of the fight? I, I just don't buy it, personally. So, I mean, that's, it is what it is, but I mean, that fight's not happening now. So, good news for the UFC, who are going to be unopposed. Not that uh, that pay-per-view, I, I don't think that pay-per-view would have done very well anyways. No disrespect, I mean, the fight with Woodley didn't do that well. So, if you got a rematch with Woodley, who actually, like, wobbled Jake Paul in a fight, and that doesn't do good numbers, do you think of, do you think you're, you're not drawing from the MMA crowd, you're doing strictly boxing. If you're doing Jake Paul versus Rockman, you're drawing from boxing, and you're drawing from the Jake Paul people. And the Jake Paul people will probably watch and box anybody. But I think you, you miss out on a lot of that MMA crowd that came over to see how Woodley or Askren would do against uh, Jake Paul. So, yeah, that, that's the part that surprises me. You can't, find, you can't find a person walking this planet. I, you could probably throw a rock and hit somebody that would want to box Jake Paul. That's the part that surprises me. It's uh, confusing. Well, I'll just say it's confusing. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that uh, I need to, need to touch on before we calling this, before we call this one a uh, a show. Before we say goodbye, I will say you can go to WorldMMAAwards.com and you can uh, vote for yours truly. Register, vote for Journalist of the Year. I would appreciate it if you vote for me. I'll be real. It would be nice if you support my career and you uh, you like the work that I do. And if you like the work of any of my colleagues, you can vote for them too. So thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week to recap UFC Fight Night Santos versus Hill and talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. I'm supposed to be going to, well, I guess, again, in the interest of transparency, I'm supposed to be going to the East Coast this week with my wife for our 15-year anniversary to uh, New Brunswick and PEI. But I got home. This is a weird story. So I got home, and whenever I get home, I take a COVID test because I got three kids. I want to make sure everybody's good. I'm around a lot of people when I'm covering these events. Don't have any sort of symptoms or anything. But my first test had like a very faint line where, where it would be positive, and usually that means you're positive. But then I took two more tests, and neither of them had the faint line. So we're trying to figure out what's going on here with my health. 
feel great. I swam laps yesterday. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on, but uh, we're trying to trying to sort out exactly what's going on here in terms of uh, whether or not I'm going to be able to uh, go to the East Coast with my lovely wife and have uh, have some time away from the kids, which we haven't had for six plus years. Fingers crossed. Pray for me. But uh, hopefully I'll be well rested after a nice vacation to the East Coast next week and we can talk shop and discuss everything going on in the world of combat sports. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.